This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. American Ballpark. It's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks a lot for joining us this week for another episode of the Better Off Red Podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and got to spend some quality time with family and friends. This week, Danny Graves, one of my favorite guys ever, checks in with us to revisit his time in a red uniform, as well as to chat about what he's working on these days. But first, let's talk a little bit about Reds Fest. As we record this episode of the BOR podcast, we're also gearing up for Reds Fest on Friday and Saturday, December 4th and 5th at the Duke Energy Convention Center in downtown Cincinnati. Over 80 current and former Reds players and coaches and broadcasters and lions and tigers and bears are expected to appear at the annual winter event. Better Off Red will also be there. We'll be hanging out in the Reds Connect Zone, recording upcoming episodes of the podcast, interacting with Reds fans, and, you know, having some good times with our celebrity guests. If you don't have your tickets yet, you can pick them up at Reds.com, the GABP box office, select Kroger stores with Ticketmaster retail outlets, and Reds Fest at the Duke Energy Convention Center starting Friday at 9 a.m. and Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also purchase your Reds Fest tickets by calling 513-381-REDS. Two-day tickets are twenty tickets are $25 for adults, $12 for kids 12 and younger. One-day tickets are $17 for adults and $7 for kids 12 and younger. Children three and under are admitted free. I hope to see you at Reds Fest 2015. Before we get to Danny Graves, let's listen to some great music from Dallas singer-songwriter Jonathan Tyler. This is the song River Bottom from his new album, Holy Smokes. Some of you music heads out there know that Jonathan Tyler once played in the band Jonathan Tyler and the Northern Lights, a fantastic band that received some national exposure a few years ago when they appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live. 
Right about that same time, some of their music was also featured in popular TV shows like Friday Night Lights and Boardwalk Empire. I'm not sure if the band is on hiatus or broken up or what, but one way or the other, Jonathan Tyler continues to put out some great music. I was super excited to see that he's playing in one of my favorite venues in Phoenix in March when I'm out there for spring training. This week's guest is the Reds' all-time saves leader with 182 of them. He played in parts of 11 big league seasons, including nine in Cincinnati. A two-time National League All-Star, he had one of the best nicknames in all of baseball. This is the baby-faced assassin, Danny Graves. Here we are with Danny Graves. Danny, thanks for joining the Better Off Red podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're very, very grateful to have you on the show. I'm very grateful that you had me, Jamie. I've been looking forward to this for, for quite a while. After seeing that you've got all these other guys on there, I've been pretty jealous. <laughs> well, <laughs> we did get some of your old teammates. We have um, we had Dimitri and Pokey, and we recently scored Greg Vaughn, who I was pleasantly surprised to get on with uh, with us. And, um, you know, I'm sure uh, they were all valuable teammates to you. Yeah, they were. Those are really three uh, main guys on that 99 team as you well know that helped carry us and, and not just on the field but they're just great guys in general off the field they're great to be around and I mean I haven't heard from Greg Vaughn in forever so it was awesome to hear his voice again on your show oh great I'm glad you listened yeah he was uh, he was great he was honest he was uh, you know he had a lot of nice things to say about his time here in Cincinnati and you know which is amazing because he only spent one year here and you know he he yeah. was he was fantastic, and you know I wish uh, I wish we had a chance to see more of him throughout the years in a Reds uniform, but you know that's the way it goes. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm in uh, Florida for a few days, hanging out with my boys, and uh, just trying to get over these allergies, man. The allergies are killing me, Jamie. <laughs> hey, uh, just like uh, how I start off with most of the guests here, give us an update on uh, what you're up to these days and what what you're currently doing, where you're living, and that that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I'm living in San Antonio uh, most of the year. Well, let me start over. Not most of the year. My main house is in San Antonio. I work for a digital sports network called 120 Sports, and we're based out of Chicago. So during the Major League season, I'm in Chicago most of the, the season, so almost eight months out of the year I'm there. Um, and we cover uh, all sports with uh, digitally on 120 Sports, but I only cover baseball, obviously. So um, it's, it's a company owned by Jerry Reinsdorf and then uh, his companies. So... I mean, we just started two years ago, and it's starting to take off now. Um, we're actually moving to another building. We're right in, in uh, the heart of Chicago where uh, Oprah Winfrey's studios are. That's where we're based out of. So. Oh, wow. It's a and lot of fun, man. Is that a – now give everybody an, uh, an update on what that is. Uh, try to describe to us what, what 120 Sports is. Is it something that people can see on the Internet, or is it you know on TV, or what is it? Yeah, well, okay, so there's a, a lot of different ways you can view us. Uh, the number one way is we're an app on the Apple Store, the Android, whatever you have. Mm -hmm. You can download us for free, and then you watch our shows. And our shows, it, oh, it's also on Apple TV. Um, we're merging with Verizon now to go on some of their uh, um, platforms. Um, MSN, we're one of their main sports platforms. Um, on MSN.com. So the, really the main way is on your on your phone or your iPad, we're basically going to be 
trying to promote having uh, sports in your pocket. So oh, very nice. What what are yeah, it's pretty cool. What our shows do? They're they're from six to six p.m. to two p two a.m. Eastern time every night, Monday through Saturday, and on Sundays it's three p.m. to no wait, four p.m. to twelve a.m. Uh, Eastern time. And what we do is one twenty sports, hence the name one twenty. Each segment we can only talk for two se- two minutes. Mm-hmm. So 120 seconds, we get to talk about a segment. What we do is we try to get the main points in and out. We don't want to bore the listeners or the watchers, whoever is watching, because, you know, attention span these days aren't very... Uh, very <laughs> so, Trust me, I know. The main point that, yeah, so, I mean, we, we try to get the main points of each story, of each game that I'm doing in within the two minutes, and we move on to another one. And then if we need to talk more about it, we'll bring it back later in the show. So it's pretty fun, man. It's... I never thought talking about baseball would be so much fun, but it's a lot easier than playing, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you seem like you've, uh, just reading your tweets and everything, you seem like you're having a really good time with it. And, you know, that makes me happy to see that you're doing something uh, in the game that you like to do. And I can tell you have a good relationship with, with 120 Sports and, and the, the guys and the gals that are also par- participating in, in, that, uh, in that company. Yeah, we have a blast, man. It's it's pretty much our, our setting in our studio. We have a few different settings. One is a locker room setting where we're sitting with lockers behind us and just some guys just talking about sports. And then another one is a bar set where uh, Jack Daniels is our main bar sponsor. So <laughs> we, we stand behind the bar and just, just talk like we're at a bar with, uh, with other guys or whoever's with us. Sure. It's so much fun. Um, they call me the commish. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm like I'm not a commissioner. Well, you're the commissioner of 120. They tell me. So, <laughs> well, how did how did you get that nickname? Well, one of our guys, Dave Ross, uh, one of our main hosts, he just out of nowhere just dropped a commission on me because I we used to have this segment called "You're the GM." Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I love this because because I get to make trades and I get to sign whoever I want. Not really, but it's it's fun doing that for other people. So it's like it's fun spending other people's money, you know. Um, so. <laughs> After I made one of these uh, deals, he's like, oh, dude, that's pretty sweet, Commission. I'm like, Commission? Because, yeah, I'm calling you the Commission now. So <laughs> it just stuck from then on. For the last two years, I've been the Commission. And I love it. I, I love working there. I, they give me the, um, the avenue to speak my mind. You know, they don't make me hold back. And, and you know me very well, Jamie. I, I like to say things. I like to say what's on my mind. Yeah. Sometimes it's probably not the right thing to do. But <laughs> I think people like people like to have realness out there yeah yeah and uh real quick danny if i don't know if you're in a bad spot or not but you're kind of going in and out there but that's all right we'll we'll get it figured out is it it any better that's a lot better actually that's a lot better yeah okay that's great all right um okay yeah so uh 120 sports you've been there for what how many years now uh just since my second year very nice. And have you yeah. had to, have you had to work any of those two a.m. shifts? Um, I, I have filled in for some guys uh, because when you know, obviously we do all the sports, and I do mainly just baseball. But I used to do NASCAR in the first year of it, but then we hired another NASCAR guy. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, so you they they had you doing NASCAR? How'd you like that? They let me do it. Yeah, I love this. I've always been a gearhead. So yeah, I knew they, that. They I actually that knew bit. that. Yeah, and. 
last year, our first year in, I actually went to Chicagoland Speedway. It was the first race of the chase last year. And I went to that and um, interviewed a couple guys. So it was, it was pretty fun. It was a lot of fun getting out there to do that. But also it's a lot of extra work, a lot of extra studying that I had to do on, you know, drivers that I didn't know very well, some of the rookie drivers coming up, as opposed to the rookie major league baseball players it was a lot easier for me to relate to so so i'm kind of glad they let me only do baseball but there was times that um you know some other hosts or co-hosts were sick and they asked me to fill in because i was there and i had no problem with it so some some a few times maybe a handful of times i stayed till 2 a.m uh shows but normally i'm out right at the beginning of the last show which starts at 12 a.m Look at you. You're like the utility guy of 120 sports. You come off the bench, pinch hitter. You can pitch. <laughs> you're you're amazing. You're a jack of all trades over there. That's funny you say that because you remember Chris Steins, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he was our, our Uber utility guy. And I remember one time he had to play like for two or three weeks in a row because people got hurt. Yeah. And he was he was so funny because he's like, you need to bench me or trade me because I'm getting overexposed. So that's what I tell these guys. I'm like, don't overexpose me. Don't, don't let it seem like I know a lot about other sports because then you're going to ask me to do this more. So let me just stick with baseball and fill in every now and then. Very nice. I bet Seg's proud of you for being such a gearhead. You know, I told Seg's about that and he seemed like he was, uh, not shocked. You know, I, mean, I think he was. I think he was happy that I was doing it, and then happy that somebody else was a gearhead with him. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he always knew that I was a gearhead. So, yeah, I'm sure he was happy about it. Very good. So, um, so you're enjoying life now that uh, you know, you're over at 120 Sports. You're, you, uh, you seem to be happy. You seem to be on a good path uh, personally, and you know, that's that's something that I think people uh, are real happy to see you. Uh, you know, enjoying life and, and doing so good because, you know, it, it was no secret that you had a, a rough patch there a few years ago, and, you know, you seem like you're doing pretty good now. Yeah, I, I'm definitely on the right track now, and, and I think, um, you know, obviously the way that things ended in Cincinnati and, and my career, actually, was not a good way that anybody would want to end it, but, yeah, you know, things happen, you move on, and then you just try to better yourself, and that's what I'm doing right now, and I definitely feel much more blessed and more happy these days than I have in, in a long, long time. So, and I'm just thankful that the Reds invited me back into the family a couple of years ago to, to be able to do things with you guys like this, you know, with the Reds Fest and the fantasy camp and, and, you know, the podcast with you. It's such a blessing. Even the all-star game, you know, they brought me back to the all-star game last year. It was, it was such a, a great feeling. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and I think I can speak for the Reds by saying, Hey, look, man, you are, you are the team's all-time saves leader, and you know you are so good for the team for so many years that you know it's important for the team as well to have you back. And you're such a great ambassador to the game now. And um, you know you were on one of the most memorable teams in recent memory. So you know I like I like that you're back, and I like that I, to me you never really went away. But I understand the the whole what went into it, and you know like you said. Uh, things didn't end uh, ideally for you here in in the city. And something that I think was very poignant was last year at Reds Fest, uh, you you and I sat down and we had a and a and you uh, kind of wrapped it up by, uh, you know, you kind of apologized to the fans of Cincinnati. Can you uh, can you give us uh, 
you know, what what went into that and what uh, maybe a, a refresher on what you had to say to the fans? You remember that, huh? Yeah, man, it was great. It, it was uh, it was it, it kind of brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Jamie, that was something. It wasn't planned. It was just something that kind of happened. I, I felt like, you know, at some point in Reds Fest, I wanted to get that across to, you know, some people in the Reds organization, um, the new people that are in the Reds organization, just, so, you know, the ones that didn't personally know me. I, I wanted to get it out somehow. and just seemed like that was the perfect opportunity, and it was just kind of on a whim. And I just ran with it. And sometimes that's that's my problem. I just say what's on my mind, but thankfully this one was a good thing that happened um you know with all the, the the stuff that happened with me in 2005 and you know me and the fan me you know showing my emotions and and making them scene gesture to him obviously i can't take it back i regret doing it um there there was things said back and forth and i should have been more of a man and and just blown it off and just continued on with uh playing the game but i didn't with that said, I, I can't take it back, you know, and I apologize. I apologize to all the fans and all, all the people that I had hurt, all the kids that looked up to me, um, the, the all the people in the, in the Reds organization at that time, guys like you, Jamie. I know we know each other very well, and you didn't mm -hmm. take it the wrong way, but I, I know a lot of people did. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to apologize to everybody, and I felt like that was a perfect platform to do it. Yeah, and, you know, I was happy that, and I thought it came across as genuine. I knew it was genuine and sincere, and I thought it was the right time for it. And I'm very happy that I was. Uh, I got to share that that moment with you. And I think the fans that were around uh, really felt your honesty as well. And you know, uh, it means a lot to the city. You know, to to have one of their guys come in and you know just just to show their human side. And I think a lot of people forgave you immediately when you did it because you know a lot of people are the same way i mean we get caught up in the moment and it's just a human element and i think especially fans in cincinnati appreciate seeing a guy take it so personally and 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 involve themselves so much that you react now whether your reaction was good which it probably wasn't um but a reaction nonetheless and you know th to me it showed that you care whereas you know some you know i know a lot of fans question whether some players care or not but you cared you right. did the, you did the wrong thing and you apologize for it and you're just as sincere in your apology and, and you're as emotional about that as you were uh when you did it at the time and i think that that goes a long way yeah and i appreciate you letting me do that um not that you even knew about it, but I mean, I think there's only one other person that I would like to do that on a live show with. And, you know, as well as I do, Marty Brenneman is the greatest uh, broadcaster in the history of baseball. If I didn't get to do it on with you, live with you, Marty Brenneman would be the only one I'd rather do that with, uh, you know, publicly like that. But, I mean, it was such a, a perfect moment. And, and I thank you for even asking me to be on there. And then you know, it all just came out. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, this is a perfect segue because let's talk about Marty for a second. Marty has a reputation as being a, you know, an honest, painfully truthful kind of guy. And, you know, it, it doesn't always go over very well in the, in the clubhouse, but 
you and Marty were always tight. You guys, you know, you, you never let cr- his criticism bother you, and you guys knew it was a, a professional type thing. But personally, you guys were always buds. Yeah, always. I, Marty, you know, forget what he does on the radio uh, behind the microphone. To me, Marty is one of the greatest guys, the greatest friends that you could possibly have once you get to know him. And, and with me as a player, um, you know, the things that Marty would say about players on the air, he was real. And the, the, the one thing that I always knew about Marty was if you did great, he praised you like no other. But if you did bad, yes, he, he said what he thought. He criticized you. But every time, anytime I was criticized by Marty, it was warranted. It wasn't like Marty was making up any criticism to mm-hmm. make me look bad. And that's the thing. That's what some broadcasters do that because they make they want to make themselves sound like they're better than the players. Right. Marty never did that. Marty always told it like it was, and I appreciated that because that made me better. Um, if, like I said, if I did good, he praised me. If I did bad, he said that I did bad. And if you can't take constructive criticism, <laughs> you're obviously in the wrong sport. <laughs> so, and I think just Marty, he's such a genuine person. Um, He's just such a great guy to be around, a funny guy to be around, a family guy. Um, He always had my back. Marty always had my back, and I love him for it. And not a lot of teammates or even players now would, uh, you know, echo those sentiments. And do you understand why they wouldn't? No, I don't understand why they wouldn't. They need to grow up. (laughs) You know, they need to be men. They need to understand that, you know, and with my whole thing is in Cincinnati, I had a seed gesture. This is with a guy that I didn't know, a guy that didn't know me, and I made a mistake. Marty says stuff about the players and says um, that if they're not playing well or if they're playing great, the guy can't take it, well, play something else or go to a different team. If you can't take constructive criticism, I said before, you're not in the right sport. Go, go play a different job. But I don't understand how somebody could be so upset at a guy like Marty Brenneman who doesn't make up criticism he doesn't make up stories while you're playing bad he just tells you what he sees with his eyes and i love it <laughs> a lot I of people a lot of people do too you know and have you taken and in, in your role as i mean you're on the other side now you're you're on marty's side as far as the broadcasting goes have you taken some of the some tips from him have you learned from him as far as you know applying those tools to your trade now <laughs> every time that I have some kind of criticism that I have to say about a player or about a team or about a, a front office uh, person, the first thing that comes to my mind comes to my mind. I say, "What would Marty say?" About this? <laughs> you know, I'm serious, and I told Marty this before too. I'm like, you know, it, it's it's genuine. It's stuff that I see with my eyes. It's not to bury you. It's not to make fun of you. It's not to make you look like an idiot. It's me just telling you what I see, telling you like it is, um, and. I remember one time Marty said, I can't remember the player it was, but he said, I was here a long time before you, and I'll be here a long time after you. So if you can't take it, I'm sorry. Right. It is what it is. But, I mean, what do we want to do? Do we want to, like, coddle these players these days and tell them how great they are? It's like if my kid doesn't do very well in a sport, I'm not going to say, oh, you're the best one out there. Why am I going to lie to him? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think honesty goes a long way in this in this business. Whether it hurts or not, yeah, yeah. It's not like it's not like we're trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Sure, but yeah. it is it is what it is. 
you know, there's sometimes that I've said, play better, play better, and then you won't people won't talk about you like that. Absolutely, you know? yeah. You're uh you're on the broadcasting side now. Aaron Boone is one of the best broadcasters out there now. There, you know, a handful of guys. I know I saw Pete Harnish on MLB Network not too long ago. A lot of a lot of your former teammates have really kind of blossomed into legitimate big time baseball broadcasters. Sean Casey is another yeah, one. Yeah, Casey. How can you forget him? Of course, of course Barry Larkin. Uh, right. Recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Maybe it was because we weren't very good most of the time. We, we had a lot of time to think, a lot of time to watch the games and really discuss the games on what we should or shouldn't be doing. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things. I, I know that all, all those guys that we mentioned right there, we were all so close. We were all so tight. We just, I, I mean, we, we all got along with each other. We loved hanging out with each other. And, and I feel like we all had great baseball minds that we just kind of picked each other's brains and, and learned from each other. Yeah. I don't think any of us really planned on having this many guys go into the broadcasting uh, job, the right. broadcasting side, you know. But I think it's just such a blessing that all these guys, yes, we weren't very good for that many years, but we all knew the game. We just needed more pieces to be better, but we knew the game, and we knew how to teach the game. And I think that's where you touched upon it there. I think the reason why there are so many of you guys uh, in in broadcasting, and that's not to say the ones that – that aren't currently in broadcasting does it they're not as knowledgeable but one of the things that i think you guys are you guys like you said you're you're just smart you knew the game you, you you know the game you knew how to play the game you knew what went into it and that's what makes you guys so talented uh behind the mic and again that's not that's not to say like you know dimitri who's one of the smartest guys baseball guys that i've ever met uh you know he's right. he's teaching hitting now and you know i, I talked to pokey and he's uh, he's about to coach his old high school team, and he's teaching. And you know, you guys, you guys just I think from that '99 team especially. And you know, I'm sure people are probably tired of me talking about that team now, but that's you know that's the way it goes because it's my favorite team Too of bad. all time. <laughs> but you guys were you guys just knew what was going. You guys played as a team, and it was such a great team. And looking back now, and we just talked about it. You guys were smart, and I think that's maybe what the hidden ingredient was. Yeah, I, I think um, everybody that you mentioned and the guys that are, are teaching now, like Dimitri, yes, he's one of the best brains in baseball. I, I think if he had an opportunity to be a hitting coach in, in, for a major league team, he would run, he would run with it and do great. Uh, and Pokey too. Pokey was a great defender at any position, and he can teach guys how to steal bases the right way. Mm-hmm. But there were so many guys that knew the game. And the ones that are doing the broadcasting now, we just love to talk too much. So that's how we got the opportunity to do it. You know, and that's one of my faults. I talk too much, but it ends up working out for this job. But yeah, so many guys on that team that were just geniuses with baseball. Greg Vaughn was an unbelievable brainiac when it came to baseball. You know, even stuff that he wasn't capable of doing, he was able to teach it and get it across to guys. And I think the biggest thing with Vaughn was. He really brought a positive attitude to a lot of guys, which made a lot of guys overachieve that year. You know, we had guys like Steve Paris and Ron Ballone who had tremendous years as starting pitchers, but if you look at the back of the baseball card, there wasn't many other great years as starting pitchers. Now, Ballone went on to be a pretty good reliever. I mean, Bonnie was one of the reasons for that because he brought so much positivity to that team. 
And if anybody tells you to stop talking about 99 Reds, I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I am your you biggest I'm your it. biggest supporter, I think. I think whenever I get a chance and you know, I've I've been part of, you know, obviously not on the teams, but I've worked for the 2010 team, the 2012 team. And I've been in the I was in the clubhouse when they when they clinched, but you know, and I love those guys on those teams, and I love those teams and those memories. But it it doesn't get any better for me personally than the '99 team. I think, and I think one of the reasons why is because you guys weren't expected to win. You guys just came out of nowhere that year, and you know, after so many years of just you know kind of being uh, below 500, it just boom, it just happened. 96 wins. Yeah, and we. If you remember, we started that year getting swept by the Giants. Yeah. The first series of the year. Mm-hmm. 0-3, so it's like, oh, gosh, here we go again. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we win 96 games. But, I mean, yeah, I think that was a, a really fun team to be on. And it's not, this isn't a knock on any of those playoff teams that they've had recently, but our team was different from what I see with my eyes. You know, watching yeah. the guys the last few years, they have some serious talent. I think our team in 99 was a team that was literally the definition of a team. If one guy did something, the other 24 guys followed. Mm-hmm. Like if Greg Vaughn went and bought new shoes, we all got the same shoes <laughs> and wore them for BP. Yeah. It was like the little things like that. We all did stuff together, and we all like wanted to be with each other and support each other. So I think that's what made us overachieve a lot of the guys, too. Oh, and I'm going to get to your, I'd love to get your insight on the current Reds team and even some of those playoff teams. But first, let's talk, let's go back and talk a little bit about that 99 team again. And you mentioned Greg Vaughn, and we all agree that he was a huge piece to that, to that team and to the success of those team that 99 team. He, and if you listen to the podcast, he talked about when you guys got off to a rough start, I think he said you guys were in Atlanta and you had a players-only meeting. And this is really early in the season, and you're already having yeah. a players-only meeting. And I think at the time, you know, the media and some of the people around the club were like, oh, no, they're already having a players-only meeting, and it's, you know, still April. We're just in the, you know, the throes of the season here. How did that, how did that meeting turn you guys around? And do you remember that meeting and what Greg said? I don't remember exactly what was said. I do remember that Mark Sweeney was a big part of that meeting too. And, you know, and both those guys just came off of a world series run with the Padres the year before. So it was like, okay, we're having a meeting in April. But then it was like, wait a minute, these guys were in the world series last year. Why don't we listen right. to what they got to say? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I mean, because obviously there aren't many team uh, player only meetings in April. because He's <laughs> still young. And, but I think it, it definitely, made us better it made us feel like okay we just got a guy that's 50 home runs last year he actually cares about winning yeah you know he's on a on a team that we were expected to be bad again but he wants to win so i think that was was a pivotal point in the season it, it really made everybody understand that we're we're in this to win it we're not in here in this to rebuild we didn't sign these guys just to rebuild so i mean it was definitely i remember it, it happening i don't remember the exact things that were said but I know that that was a huge part of the season for us. And I think what's even more important than that was that Barry Larkin was supportive and on board with with Vaughn's leadership where, you know, it could have went the, the other way. Barry was, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer and he played for the, uh, the 1990 World Champion Reds and, you know, he could have, you know, and you know as well as I do, he could have, you know, put the kibosh on that whole thing, but he didn't. 
but he didn't, and that's that's the thing with Barry Larkin too. There, he's never had an issue with pride. I think if it, if there was any moment that anybody wanted to make the team better, he was on board with it. And I don't, uh, you know, I think everybody appreciates that he let that happen. But I don't think it's in, it's in his nature to shut somebody up. I think uh, this day and age, it's like if you got something to say, say it. And if it's not right, then I'll pull you in the back and tell you don't do that again. Right. So that's how Barry was. He wouldn't show guys up. He never had an issue with the pride. He just wanted to be a winner. And obviously, he's a winner. He's in the Hall of Fame. So uh, one of the greatest teammates I've ever played with. Do you think he'll manage someday? I hope so, man. I really do. You talk about a, a baseball guy, a, a baseball genius. Mm-hmm. Barry Larkin is a guy that would think batters ahead. And you know, there's the old cliche, one pitch at a time and mm-hmm. one hitter at a time. But when you're a manager, you can't do that. <laughs> and I, you, you know, you can see Barry even playing shortstop. He, there was a few times when I first got traded over the first couple of years that he would come up to me in the, at the mound in the ninth inning and, and kind of give me a little scouting report on a guy um, that I wasn't familiar with that had played in the league that he played against. I remember one specifically against the Chicago Cubs, Joe Girardi was batting. Mm-hmm. And I never faced Girardi at the time. And Barry, <laughs> Barry came up, he's like, whatever you do, if you're going to throw a fastball, you better throw that one that moves a lot so you can beat it into the ground. <laughs> so what I did was threw that good sinker, and he beat it into the ground. I turned around, looked at Barry, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. <laughs> I got another guy out here telling me what to throw and telling me exactly where to throw it. It was it was brilliant. So, I mean, it's just like things like that. Like, Barry is not just – he wasn't just a shortstop. Yeah. He was a teacher on the field, and he was a teacher in the clubhouse, and he was always a positive guy. I think Barry should get an opportunity to manage. Hopefully it's with the Reds. Um, I know Brian Price is there, and he's, he's – trying to turn this thing around and I, I love Brian Price whenever his time is up hopefully it's later than sooner yeah uh, that Barry gets an opportunity sure sure um you know you mentioned the current team let's talk about the the current state of the Reds right now obviously a 98 loss season is not something that's ideal for the franchise but in my opinion and I'm not just saying this because I'm a, a Reds guy or a Reds employee but I see this team turning it around um you know, pretty soon. And whether you have to sit out or, you know, kind of take your lumps for a season or two, I really think the future is bright for this club. And I would love to get your opinion on that. Okay. So I'm going to make the excuse for them. Cause I know they're not going to make the excuse for 98 losses last year. When you start a rookie pitcher for close to 50 straight games, you have no chance of winning a lot. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm, it's not a knock on the rookie pitchers at right. all. The rookie starters, but this is, it's a growing period. You cannot expect five rookies to go out there and win three out of those five, or even two out of those five. That's a tough task to ask. You and know, and tell, fo- are, are... tell folks why. Tell folks why. Well, because the big leagues, it's a lot different than AAA and AA. It, it, the game is a lot faster. The, the guys are bigger and stronger. The, guy, the guys don't miss mistakes. When you're in AAA, you can get away with 95 miles an hour down the middle but up. Mm-hmm. You throw 95 down the middle and up in the big leagues, you're not getting that ball back. <laughs> and you guys are going to continue to, to rake you. Right. So it's about locating your pitches as a, as a starting pitcher, and it's about keeping the ball down in the strike zone. And it's it's easy to say, I know. Uh, I wasn't very good as a starter, but as a reliever, I know that you have to make your pitches in the big leagues. You get away with that stuff in the minor leagues, but you can't get away with it in the big leagues. There's too many good hitters. Um, so with that said, I do believe that they're going to be good. When you have an infield with Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, 
Zach Cozart, I think he's going to be back next year, right? Yeah, all healthy. indications are, okay. yeah, he's going to be healthy. And then Todd Frazier, come on. Tell me, give me another infield that's better. Right. Only one other, other infield in all all the National League that I could think of that even comes close is the Giants. Mm-hmm. They have Duffy, Crawford at short, Joe Panic at second, and Brandon Bell at first. If right. I had to put those two infields up against each other, I'll take the Reds infield all day long mm-hmm. because you got you got guys that hit for power, for average, and drive and run. Zach Kozar is one of the best shortstops defensively in baseball. So when you have those four, and then you got Jay Bruce in the outfield, hopefully they keep him, they don't trade him, and then if Billy Hamilton can hit the ball on the ground, he's going to steal 100 bases. Mm-hmm. So they have potential to be great right. very soon. I think I know there's a lot of talk about Rawls Chapman being traded. I I can understand why that might be a lot of talk because they don't expect to win a lot and you're not getting the value out of your closer. A couple of things. I really hope that he stays. One, so he, that he breaks my record so I can get it out of the way. Because <laughs> that's all people talk about to me, and, and I want it to be done with. You know, records are meant to be broken, and I think if anybody should do it, Rawls Chapman is a great, one of the greatest closers in history in his short career. So mm-hmm. I would love for him to take it. But it's, to me, it's hard to trade a guy like that unless you get a bunch of great prospects that are ready to play in the big leagues right now. And I, I've heard that's what they're trying to do, get prospects that are ready to play in the big leagues now. So, with that said, there is potential to, to be great very soon. What kind of starting pitching are they going to have? They're going to have guys that were rookies that have a year under the belt. Now, are they going to go out and dominate? Probably not, but I think Iglesias and Dick Buffini are pretty good. Yeah. They're pretty darn mm-hmm. good. So, I think they're going to flourish this year, but you still need some more guys. And so... How how important would it be to add a veteran arm? You know, I'm not I'm not saying a big time free agent, but uh, in your opinion, how important was it to have like when when I believe you were in Cincinnati when Mike Morgan was in that yeah. on that staff? How important is it to have a have a guy like that? It's it's huge, and even if you know when Mike Morgan was there, he wasn't a guy that was pitching every five days. He was kind of doing everything. He would mm-hmm. start, he would relieve, do whatever you needed to do, but. He would talk to guys um, in the clubhouse in between starts and kind of teach guys on how to be a major league pitcher. And, and I think there's one guy that just jumps out to me right now, and I've never mentioned this, but uh, since you asked that question, it's like this is a perfect fit. I think Bartolo Colon would be great for this rotation. Yeah. And he'd, he'd be cheap. Yeah, you see what he did with those four guys in New York last year? Mm-hmm. Every one of those young guys would give credit to Bartolo Colon for their success. Hmm. They publicly said that. It was because of Bartolo Colon. This is a guy that you don't have to pay a whole lot. He's going to get you some ground balls. You're going to get a lot of innings. So to have a guy like that lead a young pitching staff, I think would be huge. Now, will they do that? Probably not because a lot of people are down on Bartolo Colon because he's overweight and he's 43 years old. But you know what? The guy won 15 games last year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean – that's why I'll, I'll probably never be a GM. I never <laughs> want to be a GM because I'd make bold moves like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I do think at the end of the day, I think there is they, they do need to have some kind of veteran leadership uh, in that starting rotation. It's it's tough for all five of those guys in the rotation to be young guys trying to feed off each other. You need to look up to somebody in a rotation. Yeah, and an added caveat to that: if we you, you, we talked about the the all rookie rotation. And how you you know they're going to take their lumps and you know on the job yeah. learning and that kind of stuff. But also, 
what kind of uh, what kind of hurt in that regard was the toll that it took on the bullpen. And if anybody knows what that's like, it'd be you when these guys, you know, you know, you get the rookie pitchers that are, you know, kind of taking their lumps for four or five innings and then you have to turn it over to a bullpen that kind of wears out your bullpen real fast. Yeah, it does. It really does. And uh, listen, I'm, I'm a guy that loves pitching a lot when I was in the bullpen. I love the Jack McKeon days because he wore us out too. Yeah. But I think, I think that made us better. Some of us anyways, myself and Scott Sullivan loved pitching every day. We could not wait to get out there to pitch. Obviously you don't want to have starters go only five innings where you just get beat up like that. But <laughs> I think some of the relievers, not only with the Reds and all of Major League Baseball need to kind of toughen up a little bit to be in multiple days. And I understand that wear and tear and there's people worried about all the Tommy John surgeries and stuff. But if you prepare yourself physically and mentally every single day of a game, you should be able to go out there and pitch. Now, if you physically have something that's hurting, I, I understand that. But I think too many guys are looking for too many days off. Mm-hmm. You know, um, With all that said, yes, the starting rotation needs to go deeper into games a little more often. But I think bullpen guys in all of baseball need to toughen up a little bit and be ready to get the ball more and more. Look at the Kansas City Royals bullpen. They've pitched every single day just about. Yeah. And they end up winning the World Series and they have the best bullpen in all of baseball the last two years. Mm-hmm. So I think the more that you pitch and the more that you mentally tell you tell yourself that you want to pitch, you'll be fine. There's the guys that say, gosh, I pitched two days in a row. What, what's wrong with two days in a row? You can't <laughs> pitch two days in a row? So that's probably why I will never be a pitching coach either, Jamie, because <laughs> I don't like guys to get too much rest. I want guys to pitch. Yeah, it's like Dusty said, um, you know, about the bullpen. You're either going to, what did he say, wear them out or rust them out. And, you know, yeah. one way or the other, you know, it's not good not to have them pitch, but it's also not good to have them rest too much either. Right. And, you know, I, I think Dusty was a great manager. He has been his whole career. People always said he didn't know how to run a bullpen. Well, it's not easy to run a bullpen, number one. Mm-hmm. But I think also with the fact that you don't want to rust them, there are guys that complain and say, well, I gave it up because I didn't, hadn't pitched in three days. Yeah. I haven't pitched in two days. Mm-hmm. But then you're the same guy that complains about pitching two or three days in a row. So which one is it? What do you want? You know. <laughs> but as a, as a manager, you're going to run out there guys that you think – are going to help you win the ball game because that's the manager's job. <laughs> were you here? Were you around when Kent Merker was on the team? Of course, I was. Were <laughs> you? You weren't the guy because there's a great story with Kent Merker, and our our topics are kind of reminding me of this story where he uh, he went up to a guy, uh, a pitcher, and I forget who it was. I might, I, you know, I even if I did, I probably wouldn't name him. But he he asked him. He said, "Hey, you pitching today?" And the, the the guy said, "Yeah," and then he looked at and Merker looked at him. He's like, "Yep, so am I." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember who that was, but I've I've heard Merker say that a few different times. Oh, uh, some of the pitchers. Oh, uh, he was yeah. he he was a beauty, and you've played with some, you know, not only Merker but geez, oh, Pete's Pete Harnish and Denny Nagel. How uh, funny were those guys? Oh my gosh, I, I think the, the the personalities that we had on our teams is what got me by <laughs> obviously it's a long season and you're stuck with the same guys since from February all the way till October um, and it was so funny because Pete Harnish would always say like probably around August 1st he would say alright guys 
60 more days you can pick your own friends so, <laughs> like, you can't wait to get home but you can't wait to leave these guys you know yeah um, yeah. yeah the personality Kent Merker to me was obviously one of my favorite teammates too I, I put him and Pete Harnish right up there at the top but Kent Merker we had uh, we go to this one um, facility after the game sometimes uh, don't want to name what it is because obviously <laughs> it's not there anymore but um, we used to go to this uh, one establishment and they had mugs made for us one said maverick and one said wingman they were for us too <laughs> yeah it nice. was great man that's great. great that can you tell the pete harnish story were you on the bus in sarasota when pete got on i sure was yeah can you can you John tell Allen us was, yeah. yeah can you tell us that story <laughs> yeah so okay so pete harnish had a he had a knack for liking to be naked in the clubhouse <laughs> and um liking to walk around especially in spring training yeah and Pete Harnish had such a great physique. It was just such a sight to see. <laughs> and you're being um, sarcastic. But, yeah, <laughs> totally sarcastic. Yeah, Pete was so funny. He would eat a whole pizza, but then he'd run like 10 miles instead of playing for the tie. <laughs> so, but, but anyway, this day in Sarasota, I remember John Allen, who at the time was our chief operating officer, mm-hmm. and he was on the bus going on the road trip with us and sitting in the front seat. Well, he looks over towards the clubhouse, Pete Harnish is outside, outside of the clubhouse, naked, with soap suds all over his body and a batting helmet. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. John Allen was just dying laughing, cracking up. But that was Pete. He loved being naked. He loved having soap all over him. He loved doing jumping jack naked. He loved doing everything naked. <laughs> That's what made him such a great guy to be around. He's just his personality. Now I was told Pete actually got on the bus and said he was. He got on and said, "Okay, guys, I'm ready." Oh, I don't remember if he did that. He might have. Uh, he might have. I was laughing so hard, I, I can't even remember that. That may have been another some, naked Pete Harnish story with the toothbrush, I think, was also involved. Well, yeah, the toothbrush. Uh, he'd walk around and put it on his backside and say, has anybody seen my toothbrush? Um, <laughs> he would also do handstands in the shower to make sure that he cleaned his undercarriage. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then De- Denny how, Nagel how had. That oh, gee, I, yeah. You put that image in all of us now, and I don't know if we're going to be able to get it out. But um, <laughs> Denny Nagel also had the train whistle. Yeah, like it was exactly like a train whistle. It was so stinks loud. Um, <laughs> Denny Nagel also was a guy who every every starting uh, opening day that he was with us, he would trip when he was getting announced just because so that everybody in the stadium could laugh at him he was hysterical my, my favorite so many funny guys oh god my favorite uh my favorite denny nagel story was when i was on the ground crew you you know like i think it was at the end of the fifth we'd come out to you know sweep up the dirt off the turf there and um it was a game in which barry bonds had already homered twice off denny nagel and you know as a ground crew guy we didn't have any of those like we we didn't pretend that we were players. We also knew what our role was and we didn't, you know, try to be buddy, buddy with you guys, even though you guys were so good to us. So especially during the game, you don't talk to a pitcher during a game, especially on the field when he's getting his brains Uh beat in by Barry Bonds. So I remember going Uh out to the mound, you know, I put my head down. I know Denny's struggling out there and I'm just sweeping up the dirt, waiting for the, uh, the umpire to say, let's go. And, I'm sweeping up the dirt and he stops his warmups, looks over at me and the other guy that are sweeping up the dirt. And he's like, Hey, you guys. And we're like, Oh man, what, what's he, you know, what's he going to, is he going to yell at us for something? 
you guys have any idea how to get bonds out? <laughs> and we were like, no, no. So we hurried and we got out of there. But that's the kind of guy he was. He was just so funny and he was so, you know, just down to earth, you know, like he knew it, he treated it as a game and that's what it was. And you guys, wow. The, yeah. the personalities I, I, on that team. Yeah. I think we all understood that we were getting paid a lot of money to play a kid's game. So <laughs> yes, we were serious. We wanted to win and we were serious about our business. But at the same time, I think we were just real people understanding how blessed we were to play a kid's game. And get paid to do it. Do you keep in touch with any of those guys? Um, I've I've lost touch with most of them. Aaron Boone, I I talk to quite often. And Sean Casey, we'll we'll text uh, quite a bit. Um, Tommy Hume, of course, mm-hmm. yep. best bullpen coach in the history of baseball. <laughs> uh, still chat with him. Um, you know, just every now and then we'll connect with some guys, but really just Casey and uh, Griffey and Larkin occasionally. I haven't heard from Adam Dunn in a while, but really Casey and Boone, I think, are the guys that I keep in touch with the most. Yeah. Just because they're on air, and we kind of mm-hmm. go back and forth trying to get scoop from each other, you know, for yeah. our shows. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how about just, that? You cool. can, Look how far you guys have come. You've played together, and now you're trying to get information from each other to report as media members. That's so great. Yeah, you know, uh, right at the trade deadline, it was funny because um, – I guess ESPN was the first ones reporting uh, certain things at the trade deadline. And um, I guess there was a show coming on, and Booney already had some names that were happening. So I texted Booney. I'm like, you don't have to say yes or no, but is so-and-so and so-and-so getting traded or so-and-so going to this team? And he would either give me a thumbs up emoji or thumbs down emoji. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to. He didn't want me to spoil it for anybody. And I told him I wasn't going to tell anybody. I just wanted to know so I could prepare. Yeah. For when my show comes on, that I knew who I was going to talk about ahead of time. So. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey. I mean, we try to help each other out. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the the state of the franchise. We talked a little bit about the Reds' future and that kind of stuff. Um, what do you? How do you like the Dick Williams move? I love the Dick Williams move. I I I feel like he's been ready for this uh, position for a while. I just I hope he gets a little more say in making decisions. And I know Walt Jockety has been a GM for a lot of years, mm-hmm. a lot of organizations, and he's a great one. Um, and now I guess he's the president of uh, baseball operations. Mm-hmm. I just hope that he lets Dick Williams make some more moves. Uh, more of the moves instead of just giving him the title because I think Dick Williams has been around this Reds organization for a long, long time, and he's a guy that knows baseball. He knows what needs to be to happen to make his team better. And I think if they just, you know, give him a long leash and let him do that, I think he's going to be great. Um, I think he's a great communicator. Uh, he loves he loves his Reds. Mm-hmm. He wants to make him better. And I just know that Dick Williams is obviously the right man for this job. And I hope he has this job for a long time. I, I love Dick. Yeah, I, I, love Dick I couldn't agree with you more. He's a, he, Like you said, I think the key thing with him is he's a great communicator. And he wears his Reds passion on his sleeve. He's There's nobody that roots for the Reds more than Dick. And he's you know not only got right. a vested interest in it, but now he's also kind of, you know, he's he's a, an important figure in the baseball ops department. And like you said, I hope it's uh, for many more years to come. Have you had an opportunity? And I'm assuming that you've had a lot of, um, uh, a lot of opportunities to talk and get to know Dick during fantasy camp, correct? 
Correct. Yes. Um, I've gotten to know him pretty well. And even this past season, uh, I did a pregame show for Fox with, for the Reds with mm-hmm. Jim Day um, at Wrigley Field. And I happened to run into, of course, my main man, Marty Brennan. <laughs> then I ran into Dick. I ran into Dick, too, uh, in the dugout. Yeah. And we just started chatting. I mean, he's he's such a great guy, man. Like He made it seem like he hadn't seen me for years, and it's so great to see me. And i just seen him a few months earlier, you know? <laughs> but, like, that's the thing. Like, he's so genuine. He's so, um, we both said, he's such a great communicator. I think he's a positive-type guy. And, you know, for me, he's not one of those GMs that are getting hired because he's a numbers pusher, you yeah. know, the sabermetrics mm-hmm. genius and all this stuff. He actually knows baseball. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. I love GMs that know baseball, and Dick Williams is is that guy. So yeah, well let's yeah, let's I, talk I about that. Before. Let's talk about that for a second. There's a you know, and it's it's happened for the last you know few years, several years, where you know you have a numbers camp and you have a, a pure baseball camp, and I, I, w- I want to know where you fall in that in that specter. Okay, here comes my realism, Jamie. <laughs> here we go. Get um, ready. Yeah. I, I absolutely despise sabermetrics. I, I I know there's some there's some things obviously that go into it that I think are very valuable. You know, like figuring out numbers for OVP and um, slugging percentage OVP, and then uh, OPS. What's the main one? OPS. Yes, mm-hmm. that wasn't around when I was playing. If it was, it wasn't talked about. Mm-hmm. To me, that is that's a huge number. Now, you go to go, you're going to shift guys on because he hits the ball over here a certain amount of times. I hate that because he hits it that way on certain type of pitchers, mm-hmm. not every pitcher that he faces. Right. So when you're doing all these shifts because the numbers say the shift, it's absolutely ridiculous to me because you get routine ground balls that where guys should be playing, they should be out. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, the majority of the teams in baseball shift now. Mm-hmm. So, and they're going to say, well, the Royals won because they shift. Well, Royals run one because they got gamers on their team. They got the best bullpen in baseball, and they got guys that can hit and score runs. They don't strike out. It's not because they shift. Yeah, you can't tell me if you, if you look at the overall numbers of of the shifting, and I don't have them here in front of me. But at one point in the season, at the end of the season, looked at the Astros shifting and their percentage of the shifting that worked, and it was like maybe ten percent of it worked. So mm-hmm. what? So the ones that work, everybody's like, oh, that's a great move. They shifted them. What about the 90% that it didn't work? Mm-hmm. Nobody says that, you know? And that's why I don't think I could be a pitching coach in the big leagues either because I'd fight with the manager in the scouting department saying, I'm not shifting. <laughs> if, if I have, you know, if I have a Rawls Chapman pitching, you're going to tell me to shift this guy? Or if I have uh, Dace Clefini pitching, you're going to have me shift the same way as you have him pitch uh, shifting for Chapman? Yeah, no, right. you don't do that mm-hmm. just because the numbers say it. So these kind of things bother me. I, I think there is there is room for some saving metrics, but I think you also cannot take out the fact that old-school baseball is good, too. Old-school baseball wins, too. Your eyes, if you're a manager, pitching coach, bench coach, your eyes should tell you what to do. Or how many times did Barry Larkin shift? How many times did Derek Jeter shift? They may have moved over or shaded a little bit, depending on the hitter, depending on the pitch that was being thrown. But you never saw Jeter or Larkin on the other side of second base. I never did. Yeah, yeah. These are two great, one, two of the greatest shortstops in baseball history. You know, because they had the the knack for being in the right place at the right time. They knew where to play. They had the baseball instincts, 
and these sabermetrics are taking away the baseball instincts in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I think I'm a little more accepting of them than, than you are, but you played the game, and I, I value your your opinion on that. Um, now, you mentioned Deraldus Chapman and you guys um, being the one and two, or I don't know if he's two yet, but you know, racking up a lot of saves for this team. A lot of people don't realize that you have a very, you're, you had a very, very similar style to Aroldis Chapman. Both through about a hundred miles an hour, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we had the exact, same, exact same stuff. I'm just writing. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine throwing a hundred. No, but seriously, let's talk about him for a second. What what works for him aside from having a blazing fastball? What do you think is what makes him so dominant? Well, first of all, he's very intimidating. But when you're you're I've never faced him, obviously, but when you look at him on the mound, you, you look you can look in a, a pitcher's eyes, especially a closer, and you can tell if they're scared or not. Mm-hmm. At least I can. And you can tell if they are not feeling well or if they're not feeling like they got the good stuff. Yeah. Well, Rawls Chapman's good, not good stuff is still 98, 99 miles an hour. So it's still pretty darn good. But like if you just look in his eyes every time he pitches, you can tell that he ain't giving in to nothing. And you're going to get everything he's got. I think his his slider when it's on is pretty nasty, but I think sometimes he may throw too much. You let me throw 100 or 101, I'll throw it here and there, and you're not going to hit it. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, there's so many things that make him dominant. Obviously, he throws with a lot of velocity, the look in his eyes, and he's very deceptive. His delivery to me, first of all, he throws 100-plus, and then he hides the ball so well because – you know, his delivery, he kind of like curls up a little bit and all of a sudden here comes a hundred plus. So very deceptive to the hitters. Um, I think a lot of the hitters do, they just guess, they guess where his fastball is going to be. You know, and if you guess right, these major league hitters, they've got quick bats. So they guess right. And that's when he gives up hits. But with him, I think the one thing that he could do better, and I know Tzu's has it done, locate that hundred miles an hour a little bit more mm-hmm. because when guys are sitting on it, they're going to catch up to it. Right. But, I mean, yeah, I think if anybody's going to break it, I hope he does this year if he's still around. If not, I'm going to be stressing for the next few years so the next guy to come to it. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this as far as Aroldis goes. Is and is it relevant at the major league level? Is fear factor a relevant thing at the major league level? I know, like, you know, if a lot of minor – some of the younger minor league guys in spring training, they they admitted that when, you know, they'd have to face him in a, a Cactus League game that they didn't exactly feel safe up there. And not not to say that, you know, Araldis is a – you know, is is wild, but maybe effectively wild. Does that have an effect at, at the major league level? 100%. Yeah, I, I guarantee you there's not one guy that feels very comfortable stepping in the box with Araldis Chapman pitching whether it's a righty or a lefty, because, yes, he's not wild, but he could throw one inside yeah. if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. I've seen him do it. And you don't want to get hit by 100 miles an hour uh, coming right at you. So <laughs> there is that fear factor. Um, you see him, when, if he throws a breaking ball to a lefty, they're usually buckling like no other because they don't want to get hit by a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. So, yeah, that fear factor is there, but that's the thing. If you look in his eyes before he's about to pitch, that's when you have to be fearful. If he's got that look, like he's he struggled at times this year, and I could see you could look at him and say he ain't feeling right. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe after the first batter, you could say, okay, something something ain't right with him. Mentally, he's not there. And 
if a hitter looks at them then, yes, they're not going to be fearful then. They can say, okay, we're going to get him now. But majority of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, you look at his eyes when he's on that mound, it's scary. Yeah. Hey, what do you think of the uh, the deal the Reds made this year with uh, Johnny Cueto? They sent him to Kansas City, and they acquired three young arms. How familiar are you with those those guys? Well, uh, very familiar with Lamb and Finnegan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they both have great arms. Finnegan, obviously, I, I, I think he's going to be a starter. I know he was a reliever with the Royals when he came up, but I think he's got a great arm. Um, and Lamb, too, both lefties who could be – rotation guys for a long time I, I love lamb because he's got a bunch of tattoos but i think he can also pitch too yeah you know um i don't i'm not familiar with the third guy but i i think this is a, a brilliant trade obviously johnny Cueto wasn't going to sign back um and he wasn't gonna they weren't gonna be able to afford him to come back and at that time he wasn't the same johnny Cueto anyways so to be able to trade him for those uh, at least those two guys that i know of was huge. I think that was a great deal because they got two guys that were major league ready. Yeah, and, and you know the, the the Reds also acquired in, uh, uh, some good arms in the in the Mike Leake trade as well. So uh, I think you would agree that the the Reds' crop of pitching, and not to mention they already have guys like Amir Garrett in the organization and Robert Stevenson, Nick Trevia. So uh, again, I think this the future is bright only because uh, you you have some very talented pitchers on the farm and we talked about earlier about the success of or the lack of success I should say of the 2015 team and uh, it was kind of attributed to that you didn't have veteran experienced quality pitching and I think at some point uh, this organization is going to have plenty of that yeah and, and I think obviously the best formula for winning is pitching a defense we already know they have great defense and of course they got guys that can drive and run but you need pitching uh, the luxury of having this much pitching depth to me is if you are in july by july 31st in the hunt and you're right there you've got some big time pitching prospects that you could trade away mm-hmm. to go out and get somebody else uh, like an ace type guy if you needed to I'm not saying they're going to do that but i'm saying you have the options now because you have all these pitchers in your organization and quality pitchers um Robert Stevenson, I've heard so much about this guy. I saw that he just got put on the 40 man. I hope he gets an opportunity because I want to see him throw. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so much pitching depth, that's what's going to win. And if you look back at that 2000 team game when we traded for Griffey, yeah. we thought we were going to World Series, right? Right. We had every piece that we needed, but we didn't have starting pitching. Right. That was our, our weak link. Mm-hmm. So we ended up winning 85 games, but still that's not where we expected to be we had starting pitching i think we would have got a lot further and, and that's what this team needs they need some good quality starting pitching and they're working their way to do that do you think um improving your bullpen is the most effective and um i don't want i guess cheapest is the word to uh to improve your baseball team uh that all depends that all depends nowadays if you want a, a quality closer you're gonna have to pay him some money yeah and uh, i think Aralvis chapman will be in line to make 12 to 14 million this year right but what That's about i'm talking for, about guys like you know you played with scott sullivan that those guys don't yeah, grow on guys. trees well yeah darren o'day is a perfect example very similar to scott sullivan um but he's expensive he, mm-hmm. he's looking for 30 to 40 million dollars for for three years yeah which is which is a lot for a setup guy. Mm-hmm. Am I going to pay that much for a setup guy? Absolutely not. Right. I'm going to take my chances of grooming the guys that I have. I think J.J. Hoover, if he could ever get his mechanics right, 
would be a dominant, dominant setup guy. Like, yeah. The best in baseball. Mm-hmm. But he's never been consistent enough to have that. His mechanics, to me, are all over the place. I think you can try to build your, your bullpens within and maybe go out and get a piece here and there, a nasty lefty, uh, you know, like a Tony Sip type lefty come out and lefty specialist yeah. that can get righties out too. I don't think you need to spend a ton of money to build your bullpen, especially when you're going to pay your closer a lot. Yeah, yeah. Hey, before we uh, we check off here, I'm going to ask you to give me your, your, your memories and your thoughts and what was going through your mind when you were at in Houston and you just crushed one right over the Crawford boxes for your home run. <laughs> oh, that's funny you said that. <laughs> because I love I that moment so much. Now, okay, so 2000 and 2001, I, I hit one each year in Houston. Mm-hmm. The first one was off Mike Maddox, who's probably, in my opinion, one of the, the better pitching coaches in all of baseball now. Yeah. Now with the Nationals. But um, he, yeah. He, that was the second one I hit, actually. Well, no, let, let's t- take me it through was... take me through both of them. I love talking to pitchers okay, so... that hit, have hit home runs. Okay, so here's the deal. I'll, I'll take you play by play. <laughs> we were. <laughs> I came into uh, a tie game. Uh, it was either the ninth. I think it was the ninth inning. And it was a tie game, and I came in. We were running low on bullpen guys, so I came in, um, pitched two innings, and then in the third, our was it 11th inning? Yeah, 11th inning, top 11th. Pokey Reese ends up hitting a three-run jack. Mm-hmm. Well, this is all with uh, two outs. So, how Morris was going to pinch hit for me. I was up after Pokey Reese. How Morris was going to pinch hit. Well, Pokey hits a three-run jack, so we take a three-run lead, and Jack McKean says, no, 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 no. Danny, you're going to hit. You're going to hit. You go finish the game. <laughs> so, like, okay, I go up there, no gloves, nothing. Grab Gookie Dog. And um, I just went up there, and I saw a pitch, and I, did, I, I promise you I closed my eyes and swung as hard as I could. I'm not even joking. Because when I hit it, I didn't know exactly where it was at first. And then I looked up, and it's a line drive, and I thought it was going off the wall. Yeah. Three rows into the into the Crawford boxes. And a couple things when I was running around the bases. Uh, Ken Caminiti, the late, great Ken Caminiti, was playing third for the Astros. Yeah. He had his glove over his mouth, cracking up. <laughs> I could hold his glove around the second base so then i get to home and i look over at dimitri and he dimitri is standing on top of the rail of the dugout like grabbing his hair and smacking the dugout rail like he just saw a game-winning home run in the world series <laughs> it was unbelievable so that was a great feeling well and that was my first ever major and that was hit. that was with oh that was your first major league hit and it was with gookie dawkins's yeah. bat yes gookie <laughs> dawkins's bat yep and then uh because I just had to grab a bat because they were going to pitch it for me. Yeah. And I wasn't even, like, ready. Yeah. I had to throw on a helmet and grab a bat, and that's the one I grabbed, and I swung. So then the next year, I'm still uh, one for eight in my career. So the next year, um, this was a, a time where Bob Boone decided to bring me in early in the game because I hadn't pitched in a while. He wanted to give me a few innings of work. Yeah. So uh, we were down a few runs, and Tony McKnight was the pitcher. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Yeah, he I remember a, him, yeah. Yeah, he was with the Pirates for a little bit, then he came over to the mm-hmm. Astros. Well, I, I, very specifically, when I was walking up to the batter's box, Brad Hoffman was catching, and he stood up in front of the plate and looked at Tony McKnight and said, be careful, this guy can hit. He can swing it a little bit. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I got one hit in my whole career. So, so he's like, hey, I saw that one hit. So 
I get up there, first pitch, fastball, and he fa- I foul it off. And I'm like, gosh, I felt like I was right on that. Yeah. So he threw the same exact pitch, and I freaking crushed it, Jamie. <laughs> I, I, I felt like this one I actually watched, and I saw it hit the bat, and I like it was unbelievable. I felt like I was a kid again. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure it hit the back wall underneath the train. It was a little, it was a little further than the first one, but yeah, I uh, I actually drove in a run too. Maroo was on third base. Perfect. And, uh, so I was, yeah, it was a two-run homer. But yeah, so those are my first two ever career hits. They were both home runs. I'm shocked that Houston didn't try to trade for you after that because they, they well, I mean after just you know putting two out of the out of their own ballpark they they probably thought this guy's an Astros killer well you know that's funny because the year that I started 2004 um, I started in Houston and I ended up going uh, one for two <laughs> with a stolen base that year so with a steal a hitter, yeah yeah <laughs> I was three for four with a stolen base uh, in Houston <laughs> yeah, the steal is crazy. I'll tell you about that real quick, too, if you got a second. Yeah, sure. Um, so I got on first, and uh, I hit a single. I got on first, and Jeff Bagwell standing there, like, talking to me, making fun of me, whatever, just having a good old time. Bagwell yeah. was one of the great personalities personalities in all of baseball. Yeah. So we're chatting, and Jeremy Robertson throws the first pitch at the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, Jose Cardinal, remember Jose? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks over to me and says, hey, they want you to steal second. And I'm like, yeah, right. Don't even, don't even mess around like that. Uh, he goes, no, really, steal second. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, go. So as soon as the pitcher brought up his leg, I, I took off. I ran, and there was no throw. I got such a good jump, there was no throw. So one for one in my career, stolen bases. Jeez, deceptive yeah, deceptive exciting. speed from Danny Graves. Yeah, deceptively <laughs> slow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, yeah. Danny, dude, you're my main man. I appreciate you coming on here with me, and you know, always, always a pleasure to catch up with you. And I wish we had an opportunity to do that more. Um, I, you know, we we need to do a better job of staying in touch. But I'm so happy that you're back in the fold here, and you know, you're 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 a, a red at heart. You're always going to be a Cincinnati Red, and it's just a great pleasure to talk to you and to catch up. Uh, Jamie, I appreciate you you inviting me to do this, and. Uh... Anytime you need it, just give me a little heads up, and I'll I'll make room in the schedule to get on with you. Ah, uh, you're the best, man. Okay, well, uh, we'll catch up. Are you going to be at Reds Fest? Um, I am not. I have to work for 120 because that the Reds Fest this year falls right when the winter meetings are. Ah, uh, yes, and that's, yeah. That's the only time that I work at 120 during the off season. Well, then I'll see you in Nashville. So, well, I'm not going though. We're, I'm reporting oh, from our studio. Oh, okay, okay. You're going to be in the Unless studio. Unless they okay. decide to change that, yeah. maybe you guys can send uh, <laughs> some messages to 120 and say that they need to send me to Nashville. I'm typing as we speak. Yes, nice. <laughs> Give me to Nashville with you. I would love to go to Opryland. All right, brother. Well, if 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 I don't see you there, then we're going to catch up sometime soon. Maybe uh, we'll get you some more uh, some more some more skyline chili in the mail for you. Oh, yeah, some uh, Montgomery Ann and yes, Yeah. <laughs> oh, my mouth is watering right now, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. That was Danny Graves, and I'm so happy that he's doing well and living that good life down there in San Antonio. Danny is one of my few true pals in the game, and I'll always be thankful to him for his kindness and goodwill. I really believe Danny can be a fabulous broadcaster in this game if he continues that career path. 
I hope you'll join us next week as we welcome to the show longtime Reds Clubhouse manager Rick Stowe. The music you heard on the podcast this week was courtesy of Jonathan Tyler and his new album, Holy Smokes, which is available now on iTunes. Thank yous go out this week to Danny Graves, the Cincinnati Reds, and my pal, Lisa Braun. A very special thanks to the best technical director in the field of podcasting, Nick Prince, without whom this podcast would not and could not exist. That's all from BOR headquarters. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jamie Ramsey. We'll see you at Reds Fest. Expect good news. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.